The Crux of the Matter, Episode 35, Pastor's Salaries. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing just dandy. It's another beautiful sunny day in Southern California here. I'm yep. sure it's a sunny day in Northern California there. It is sunny, but it was 48 this morning. So, ah, uh, okay. so that was actually a little bit chilly. And yeah. uh, and I had to get up ridiculously early because my wife is on a field trip to Yosemite with one of my daughters. And uh, so I'm playing Mr. Mom. And my oldest daughter had uh, water polo practice at 530 this morning. So, nice. Uh, Nice. So this is this will be an extra coffee induced episode, I expect. <laughs> yeah, and for me too. I've been yeah. getting up earlier and earlier lately, <laughs> just to get just to get make sure I'm prepared for my day. I you know I get so tired at night, and I used to be such a night. I mean, I am really kind of a night owl by nature, but right, not recently. Not recently. Well, I think you can make a pretty good argument that uh, that you you know even for us night owls, and I'm certainly the same. That you are still mentally freshest in the morning. Yeah, um, I am. Especially, you know, once you get that first cup of joe and and uh, get the blood circulating. Yep, yep. We got a bunch of stuff to do today, right. and, which is great. And first off, I, I just wanted to make a quick mention. Last week we did our uh, show on um, on Islam and Western Europe talking about Pastor Gottfried Martens at Trinity Church, uh, the Zelt Congregation in Berlin, um, and I saw. I, I will admit, I haven't had a, had time to listen to it yet, but I saw that Issues Etc. interviewed Pastor Martins this past week, and uh, and I'm sure that it's a great a, a great show. It's about an hour, so I'll put that in the show notes. Um, and that and uh, had had some interesting feedback on that. I think that uh, honestly, in the in kind of a time when Islam seems like the great specter of evil, having a Having a little bit of hope and recognizing, you know, that the gospel still actually does what it does. That's a good thing, Scott. It really yeah, you is. know, we we have, I think, been conditioned to think that Muslims don't convert. Yep. And or that it's super, super, you know, unlikely that they will ever convert to Christianity. And you know, I think we're you know we're all we all have an you know, in the best sense of the term, an evangelical heart. And we want, we want people to know Jesus. And yeah. when we, when we discover that people are, there are people who renounce their false gods and, and their idols by the power of the Holy Spirit come to faith. Um, we rejoice in that. And that was, that that's one story. Not that uh, um, I'm sure there are many, many stories of, of, you know, dramatic stories of people coming to faith throughout our Lutheran bodies. But this was one that is really, really, I think, kind of a special story. I'm glad we yep. talked about it. Yep, me too. Me too. So we both had some uh, uh, some fun teaching work this week going on. Uh, I started my book club that I've been talking about for a while. And our first book is uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, which is a book I know that you know uh, fairly well too. Um, and, and so I, I started that, did a little kind of introduction on, uh, I'll say a theology reading. <laughs> why do, why do Christians in particular have such a love affair with books and reading? And, uh, and so did that a little bit. I'll try to put a, uh, put a link to, to my, uh, 
my notes on that in the show notes if I can remember it. Yeah, um, I'd like to see that. Yeah, it's nothing too uh, nothing too spectacular, but mm-hmm. I think that the concept of recognizing that reading is participating in the imagination, even if it's a even if it's a boring textbook, and participating in the imagination is is a connection to the mind of God very simply, that this is the creative process. And because our Lord is the word made flesh, we do have a love for words. So so that was fun. What have you been uh, cooking on this week? Oh, well, in my classes, in my theology classes here at Concordia University in Irvine, I, yesterday I taught the Trinity. So that was really always fun. (laughs) <laughs> it was. It was fun. It's hard, right? Yep. I mean, it's hard to try to explain it. And and when I'm dealing with a classroom of college students, many of whom have little exposure to Christian doctrine. Some do. You know, there are definitely Christian kids in there for sure and Lutheran kids in there. Um, and and uh, But, you know, I mean, they're, they have questions and sometimes, you know, I, I think I'm reaching them and, and then they ask a very simple basic question. Of, oh, man, I got to go back and talk about what what a God is, you know, and, yep. uh, you know, and, and so it was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoy teaching and, and I enjoy the students, the college age students are a lot of, just a ton of fun to be with. Cool. Great fun. Yeah. Well, we're going to, um, we're going to tackle just every pastor's favorite topic on earth. It seems like we've had a bunch of these favorite topics, but, uh, yeah, there's some- since, uh, since this is kind of the budget season, uh, this is a this is another good one, or maybe necessary one is the better term, and that is pastor salaries. Yeah, um, it's uh, in my experience a perennial conversation. It's just something that pastors pastors deal with all the time, and and I don't know, Scott. It I hate dealing with money. If I thought communism worked, I'd probably consider it. If it meant I didn't have to deal with money and I could just get whatever I wanted. But yeah, I suppose yeah. that's not how it works. I don't think communists, the experience with communism has, has proven that to be the case. Yeah, but. I, I expect you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, but this – so this this question of salaries is, is, is not simply a matter of, of money, but it is a matter of – of uh, of theology, and mm-hmm. maybe sure. that's the first question: is why do um, why do churches pay their pastors? <laughs> sounds obvious, but you know there are Christian traditions, even or and certainly non Christian traditions, where they only have uh, essentially lay people or volunteers that do it. But mm-hmm. but the Christian church for millennia have have seen great benefit in having men dedicated to the office period. And we'll have to talk about bivocational stuff later, but yeah, why do we pay pastors? Oh, I think we we want I think first of all we recognize the the central importance of having a, a trained class of clergy. At least our tradition has this strong uh, custom of having highly educated clergy and uh, professional, you know, if you if you want to use that word, uh, um, that we are, that's a calling, um, and the expectation is that it becomes, you, you know, it's not just a job or something you do on the side. Uh, I don't think the pastoral ministry can be. There are always exceptions, but I don't think it can be very well performed if it's just a side gig. 
Um, at, at least that's that's how it seems to me. And so uh, I wouldn't say I heard someone explain it to me this way. It's not so much that we pay our pastors for their work, but we give them a remuneration so that they can devote their time to pastoral care and preaching and and it's it's not goods for service you know goods for services kind of exchange as much as it is you know, look my congregation when i served congregations they wanted to free me up so that i could devote myself to the word of god in prayer right right and of course we do have the you know the exhortation from saint paul that a laborer is worthy of his hire etc absolutely and, absolutely and, and so the the concept that that congregations are in this are in this symbiotic relationship with their pastor where uh where the where the pastor is the steward of the mysteries he delivers the gifts of god to his to his people day in day out week in week out etc on the one hand and on the other hand the the pastor is also uh one who is uh, who is in need. In most instances, a pastor is going to have a family, um, with, possibly with children. And, um, and, if we, and if a congregation wants their pastor to be devoted to the congregation, but also to be able to care for both himself and for his family, then he's going to need, then he's going to have to get paid. And, yeah. and, and it's that kind of very concrete you know that that actual okay so the pastor's going to get paid well mm-hmm. how does he get paid who actually determines that that what the pastor makes in my in my experience it's usually it's usually the board of elders in a congregation mm-hmm. that actually sets the pastor's salary and so you have that awesome meeting where you have the meeting and then the pastor and then the pastor steps out for a while or right. or you know maybe refuses to step out. I mean I I have always I always do. Yeah, I always do too. Um and really it's in my mind that's that's as much a matter of trust as it is my own personal comfort level that I don't like being in a part of those conversations, but um but yeah, at the same time that is uh, that, that, so it kind of goes through the elders and then to whatever budget process happens there, probably ultimately to the to the voters' assembly. I was about to say the divine voters' assembly, but that sounds sarcastic. And yeah. We don't do that on this podcast. We don't do so. a lot of sarcasm. No. Well, yeah, I mean that's kind of been my experience too. So the, old, the elders make a recommendation and it, you know, it gets put into the budget. And, and um, But you know, church budgets, you know – Every church is hurting right now. I mean, yep. most churches are hurting right now, and um, churches have to make deci- hard decisions about what is most important to them. Yep. What I mean, you know, I, I've heard it said, and I've at times scoffed, but I actually think this is prudent uh, that a budget is a theological document. Hmm. It is a theological. It is not just a, a church budget. Is a theological document because you're you're confessing what is important to you by what you spend your money on. Right. You're you're making a confession of faith in your budget. 
Well, didn't Jesus say where your money is, there your mouth will be also or something like that? <laughs> your heart will oh, be also. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Money, yeah. <laughs> put your money where your mouth is, yeah. is a saying. Okay. But, but that's not from, from Jesus. Lord. What was I thinking? And <laughs> no, I forgot that sarcasm thing is, again. Where your treasure is, your Where your heart treasure is, is. there your heart. And, it, and it's always fascinated me that that is not the other way around. Where your heart yeah. is, there your treasure will be also. Right. Um, right. He's saying yeah. where you, you can look at where you spend. Basically, he's saying you can look at a person's checkbook and know what they value. Yep. Know what's important. Yep. What their heart says is important. And if if that checkbook has, you know, exorbitant personal expenses and luxuries, but, but very little, you know, by comparison in proportion to the church from a Christian, then that says something. It just yep. does. And we don't like talking about it. I'm not a... I've never enjoyed stewardship campaigns or doing a stewardship sermon specifically on that or, you know, I, I it's never been my comfort zone, although I, I recognize the necessity of it and, to, you know, done properly. Um, but we're always we're always so afraid of being perceived as the church just wants my money or the pastor, you know, is just in it for the money, which I don't know a single pastor who is in it for the money. Uh, there probably are some charlatans out there, but I haven't met any that I know yeah. of. Well, and I'm, I'm sure that there are charlatans. They're, they're probably mostly on TV or, um, you know, at big, at big mega churches or some, something. I don't know. And I don't mean yeah, to disparage yeah. any, any, any particular class or group, but uh, right. yeah, most pastors are not in it for the money. And if they are in it for the money, they probably need to reconsider finding something that's going to give them a better chance of making money because oh, this absolutely. isn't it. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I'm no fan of Rick Warren's theology, no. but I read one time that he takes like a $1 salary from his congregation. You know, he's got a mega church. I mean, this is sure. because he can make a living with his writing and that's right. what he, right. And other, and, and, and other so, things. Yeah. And other things. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm not suggesting that that's a model, but you know, when, you know, it's, in, it's, it was kind of refreshing to think here's a guy with a mega church that could probably be driving a Rolls Royce, um, but is, is choosing not at least on appearances, not to take advantage of that. And I thought that was at least worth, worth noting. Well, before we, before we go on with this um, sort of decision, decision process, um, I want to, want to read something from, from Dr. Beverly Yonke, and she and she's quoting a couple sources. I'll put the I'll put the link to her kind of whole post on this in the show notes, um, and, and it and it goes as follows: The education requirements for clergy place them in the top ten percent of educated learners in the United States. Yet clergy are three hundred twenty fifth out of four hundred thirty two occupations and salaries received. So there's one quote. And then the second is the United States Department of Labor 2011 lists the average salary of clergy in 2011 as 48490 By comparison, the same year, individuals with master's degrees earned 65676 Those with doctoral degrees earned an average of 80652 And those with professional degrees, 86580 Clergy who have advanced degrees such as master's level and doctoral degrees have equivalent education and training and I might add debt, but their earning levels do not reflect it. So, so there we kind of get the get at the one end of the heart of the problem, and that is that the amount of preparation that it takes to become a pastor is not reflected, and and therefore debt um, 
and the amount uh, and then on the other end the amount of pay that a pastor typically receives is significantly lower compared to other fields now first off those comparisons to other fields aren't always significant for us yeah. i mean it doesn't really matter if i get paid the same amount as a lawyer you know i'm right. not a lawyer Right. Um, the the question is, in my mind, is is indebtedness, resources, all of these other all of these other factors that go into it. But it does give us an, at least a little bit of a picture of why this is such a why this is such a pickle, uh, and and it is definitely a difficulty, no question. Well, so this this other article that you you shared with me from uh, the. Patheos website. Yeah. Yep. Patheos. Um, yeah. They have a, it's a, it's a Christian blog and they have this article in there in which they talk about salaries for clergy that you sent me. In any case, it says that the two lowest paid professions in the U S right now, of course, are clergy and teachers. Yep. Pastors and, and teachers. going, right. And going back to what I was saying before, it's like, you know, where your money is, that shows what you value. You know, I mean, when you've got NFL players that are raking in, you know, mountains of gold right. and, and, you know, and yet we can't seem to pay teachers and pastors. That seems a living wage. Let, let's right. be frank. You know, we want our past. Don't you as a layperson, if you're out there, don't you want your pastor to be able to provide clothes for his children to go to school, be able to maybe save up a little for their college education and maybe even put away a little bit for his own retirement. Wouldn't you want that for yourself? Wouldn't you want that for your pastor? And, yep. you know, that may mean making sacrifices on parts of the, you know, some of the laity might need to be able to right. re-examine how much they give. I think, I think that that's a very important conversation. And it says a lot that to me that, you know, pastors, so this Pathos or Pathos website right. says that um, the average, according to it, the average pastor in the U.S. makes twenty eight thousand. Yeah, and that's that's quite a bit lower than the number that I gave you before. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and obviously way. there are different there are different models for for pastoral ministry. You know, does that include bivocational pastors? Does that? I, I have no idea. Obviously, uh, let's let's get back for a second to the this decision making process however because i think okay. that um and and it probably would be worthwhile for us to have a to do a show on a little more specifically on stewardship i think we've done we've done stuff on long range planning and all kinds of things but to uh, to yeah. sort of a, uh, tackle that one i think would be would be worthwhile um so in this in this process so the pastor kind of as much as humanly possible, tries to step back. The elders make these decisions. They're, you know, they're given a some magic to figure out what the salary is. And that magic might be, well, let's look at what we did last year. Is our income more than it was last year? No, it's gone down. Well, then we, then we have to pay him less. I mean, it, it, sometimes it really comes down to that simple of an equation. Um, all of the districts in the Missouri Senate, at least, have uh, district salary scales. And, and having done this for, for many years, district salary scales are, are really kind of voodoo. They are <laughs> – I mean, they're, 
Mm-hmm. I appreciate the intent and I agree with the intent. I think it's very helpful if a congregation can say, all right, well, this is this is what we as a church body have kind of recommended and said this is what we think is a reasonable balance between uh, – a reasonable balance between uh, what the pastor is able to uh, – what's a, what's a living wage? Mm-hmm. And that that's based on years of experience and education and location and all these kinds of things. So you go into this thing, maybe you get an Excel file or something, something like that from the district and say, okay, so this is his level of education. This is how many years he's served. And these are the other variables. So like in, in some districts, if you have uh, a school that – that changes the that changes the equation a little bit. Or if you're a congregation of under 500, that's one that's one bit, and between 500 and 1,000 is another. If you're a senior pastor, you have certain administrative responsibilities. That's not, so there are all kinds of variables that go into this, and in the end of it, kind of outspits a number. Mm-hmm. And then, which all of which is fine. Uh, and then there may be other variables like is there a housing equity? Is there a housing allowance? Is there a parsonage? How do you figure all of those things in? As well as how does the cost of living in the specific location where your church is um, change or not change based on that salary scale? Um, all of those things kind of go into it and very often in my experience – the the people in the congregations who are trying to figure this out are entirely sincere in their desire to figure it out. It's just complicated. It is not easy and obvious. And sometimes, like in my current district, California, Nevada, Hawaii, they're, they even add in a uh, low end of scale, mid end of scale, high end of scale. And so, That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I had not seen that before. And so you can say to a congregation – are you uh, are you doing district scale? And the answer can be yes, but it might what it but it might be on the low end of that district scale, and it might not and it might not include things like a housing allowance or you know all of these other little factors. Uh, so that can so that can be very complicated. And I think one of the one of the issues is figuring out how to how to educate the people that are making the decisions. So that they're making the decisions based on kind of real information and that there's some sort of continuity from year to year. Because oftentimes, of course, you have the, a next, the next person and the formula stuff changes every year. And it may be that the person doing it changes everywhere year. And they're given this kind of random number. And very often the pastor is um, either too pious or too shy, frankly, to question it. How come, how come there is a 9% you know, decrease in my salary for this last year. Well, it may not be because there was some deep theological discussion that went on. It no. may be very simply that the person that doing the formula didn't calculate all that stuff the same as the guy that did it the year before. That's true. I mean, our church treasurers and, and uh, financial secretaries are volunteers and, right. you know, they come and go. And so, yeah, they may factor things a little differently, and you know, and we're not just talking about salaries. I mean, there's no, the whole benefit right. package. Too. Oh, right, yeah, and we haven't even t- touched that yet. We haven't even touched on that. I mean, so right. congregations, you know, congregations are under a tremendous burden in this way, um, but especially when you take into consideration that the 
that the average congregation of any denomination in the Missouri, in the in the, in the United right. States right. is has under 150 people in worship. Yep. Most congregations, there are larger churches. Most congregations are on the small end of things, no matter Absolutely. what denomination you belong to. And 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 so with fewer worshipers, there are fewer givers, and therefore, you know, most likely, uh, less fewer resources from which to begin to work. Yep. So you know, so what might get cut might not be the pastor's salary, but he might not get the kind of health coverage that would right. be best, or retirement. Uh, and this isn't, that, and this isn't scientific knowledge on my basis, but I think that since I've become a pastor, I think that the cost for health insurance has gone up roughly a bazillion percent. Yes, I yes, mean it, it is has. insane how much I I, I I couldn't give you an exact number, but I think that for my for my family, I'm pretty sure that my congregation here pays certainly on the plus side of twenty thousand dollars a year, and yeah. I think it may be closer to thirty. Yeah. So, I'm so sure, I know that that's about – that's the ballpark for sure. Yeah. So it is a lot of money and um, made all the more complicated because a congregation cannot have different scales for different workers. So they couldn't right. put me right. – on one on one insurance scale, and my deaconess on a different one, and and the right. teachers at our school on a different. I don't think they should. Don't mishear me. No, no. But um, right. but but there are consequences to those sort of things. So it may not simply be that you're talking about one, uh, you know, about a ten thousand dollar difference. It may be you're talking actually about a hundred thousand dollar difference because you have ten employees. All yeah. all kinds of things that go into that, and um and really in looking at this. It, it it is all the more important for pastors to recognize, and this is again very very simple and obvious. But we just got to keep it in front of us that your people are not your enemy. No, even no. even when maybe especially when you're dealing with money and salaries and and hard feelings and and it can turn into this just really awkward, messy negotiation. You're still a pastor. You're still their shepherd, and and even if even if things are kind of happening or going in a way that you wouldn't exactly like, you're still their shepherd and and it it may very well be that they simply don't understand what's going on. That is entirely possible. And and even if they do, they simply may be up against a brick wall. Right. We we might we might be facing a <laughs> I hate to say that we might be facing a paradigm shift. In, in by Did which you I really mean, just say paradigm shift. I said paradigm oh, shift. Fine. I think that Go on. we might be we might be approaching a time when having a small congregation that has its own pastor full time is simply not sustainable. It's just simply not realistic. You know, for for the for most for many 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 of our churches. Now, I don't. Our polity doesn't allow. I mean, if we were the Roman Catholic Church, we would just merge a bunch of parishes, right? And just move people and around then, like chess pieces, and that would be right, that. right. We we would take three or four small congregations, and you know, virtually without their consent, just 
merged them. I mean, I was in pastor in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I can remember as a heavily Roman Catholic city. And I can remember, you know, many times in the news when people were protesting their diocese because the bishop was simply combining their parish with another parish because they had these giant buildings they couldn't barely pay to maintain. And, yep. and, and the attendance was low and the, paying for a priest is, and of course they have a severe priest shortage as well. But if we could, if there was a way for churches to really – congregations to really sit down and talk to each other and talk about merging, and I don't know – I do know of some examples where that's happening. My former district where I was – well, English district, but when I was in the northern Illinois area, in, but two, two congregations, one of them at least was English district, two right. small congregations with two faithful pastors. Nobody was – there was no controversies that I'm right. aware of. Right, this is – they're merging and they do, they're doing it just so that they can maintain a ministry in that locale. But one of those pastors, and I think they were just going to flip a coin. One of those pastors was going to have to leave. They just mm. couldn't, you know, two parishes were going to merge. And that takes a lot of guts to do that. What a stinky situation. And yeah. that's, and that, that is simply, that, that is reality in many, in many, we, many places. It's a new reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so here's a, Here's a few very concrete, concrete tips that I, I think that we should. I think we should try to bring this down to concrete. So you're a pastor in a congregation. It's budget time. It's getting close to budget time. You're about to begin these, uh, these, uh, you know, this dance of the salary. What are some things that or approaches that you can take as a pastor that's going to be that's going to be helpful? Um, here, one is is in in my opinion it is helpful bordering on necessary for the pastor has to be able to kind of directly and honestly communicate his own needs to the people that are making the decisions yeah now and and I don't know there are lots of different ways that can be done that could be done in writing that could be done where you know in this the elders budget meeting where you sit down and just sort of lay this stuff out um it might mean having a um a specific elder that that you consult with I think that may in some ways be of the most benefit is if you can kind of sit down and talk with someone and and uh, and so that they can serve as your advocate, not in a in an adversarial sense, but simply so that the elders are dealing with or whomever it is that's making that decision, that they're dealing with real information and that there isn't for the sake of of uh, of, of piety or insecurity or uncertainty um, that there isn't that there aren't things kind of left unsaid or unknown because that honestly that's not going to be helpful for anyone if the congregation um still has to make decisions that you don't like uh, yep you're and you're going to have to deal with that that's going to involve prayer and repentance and all sorts of fun stuff but but somehow or another that that need needs to be communicated clearly to the people making the decisions and that's probably a very an ex, well, that is an excellent piece of advice because I know of a lot of pastors that are suffering in silence that they just simply are having trouble financially and but some of this has to do with the enormous debt they incurred just to become a pastor and 
you know, trying to raise a family and so on. And they don't want to bring it up. They don't want to burden their people. They're, they're, they're accustomed to bearing burdens, not sharing burdens. Right. And they don't want to burden their people. They don't want to seem like they're complaining or seem like that they're money grubbing. And so they simply, and what will happen is resentment will build up. Exactly. And no one will understand why. Exactly. And then that will be manifested in other ways. And it's just unhealthy. So I think what you said was really, really smart. Yeah. That that they should, our our brothers need to talk honestly about their needs. You know, you know, be, be gentle in how you approach it. Um, and, but, but speak up. I think that's, that's gotta be done. It needs to happen. And if it doesn't happen, um, from the from the pastor's end, and, and this is tricky. It's uncomfortable, no question. Um, it may be that the that the elders need to take take the lead in in seeking this out, and in saying, "Okay, pastor, I I know that this is messy, and I want to make sure that we can that we can truly make these decisions." Uh, so, trying to think through that and appoint that, and and and. Find someone, but there's got to be someone. Chances are it's going to have to be a, a combination of sort of push-pull that the pastor is going to have to take some step that says, I want this known or, you know, we need to talk about this. And then on the other end, there needs to be a willingness on the part of the either the elders or an elder to kind of hear them out. Yeah. And that's so- – no, go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say, so if you're a layperson listening to this and you love your pastor and you love the gospel and want to be able to hear the gospel in your in your church, you maybe maybe talk to an elder. Or if you are an elder, talk to your pastor and just say, because just recognize your pastor may have expenses. There may be medical needs. There may be other other forms of debt that, that you're not aware of. And he's not going to easily or willingly want to bring it up. So take the initiative. Yeah. And go to him and, and say, look, we want to make sure that your family is taken care of, that you're healthy and that, you know, that includes your emotional health and that includes your financial health. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if, if some lay people would sort of be the first to break the ice, that might actually be a way to solve this problem for some pastors. Yeah. And uh, I agree. And, and I think now I will freely admit that I am uh I am very, very, almost hopelessly spoiled. Um, not in the not in the sense that I'm that I'm making the the big bucks, but in the sense that I that I have I've had wonderful congregations, wonderful elders that that really have sought to be well informed in making their decisions and in and in kind of seeking me out. So I have learned this from them. I'm not just kind of spinning this out of my own head. Um, but I've learned this from the wisdom of the elders that I've had in, in both of the congregations that I've served. Um, but there that does that that is not always the case, certainly. And that may require catechesis. I will say too that that this this whole thing can be uh, an opportunity for the pastor to uh, to teach about bearing one another's burdens, and in that, if you if you sort of recognize and and are free with your own needs and your own and even your own weaknesses, that frees people to recognize 
and confess their own weaknesses as well. You know, I make no bones about the fact that um, finances are finances are not my spiritual gift. Never has been, never will be, and so it is always going to be a struggle for me to kind of understand managing managing money well and and making making good decisions on these things because I don't always do so. It's not something that comes natural to me, um, and I need to and I need to be clear about that to my elders. As well, I, I personally, I feel like I have an obligation to them that they need to know what my what my weaknesses and the tendencies are that I struggle with, so that they can help me. I mean, how are they going to help me if they don't know if I'm trying to hide right. this stuff? And that requires a level of humility. I mean, we think nope. that it's humble to sort of bear silently our troubles, but um, and you no, know, we're we we're not really given that option as the body of Christ. Your troubles are are my troubles, and your joys yep. are my joys. And yep. so, as as your elder or as your parishioner, you know it. You know we don't want to be so transparent that we're you know always making confessions, but we want to be. We need to be a little more comfortable with being transparent with our trusted leaders yep. who are really there for to serve and help you in your ministry. Right, right. These people, these people are on your side. Maybe things yeah. don't don't happen as they ought. Um, well, what happens if you are, if you're a pastor and you're stuck in a place that doesn't understand this, mm-hmm. that doesn't, you know, that, you know, hasn't seen a district scale in 30 years that, um, that, that doesn't, that doesn't pay well. And furthermore, doesn't seem to have the need to pay well. Um, and there can be, you know there can be lots of different reasons for that uh, a part of it i would i would argue is is in some cases at least you're talking about people that are being put into a a sort of a supervisory role and setting salaries and figuring these things out that maybe they don't do that vocationally mm-hmm. in their right. in their own lives and you know and you have to admit that it is weird for a body of people um, setting the salary or kind of establishing the the wages for uh, for the pastor or the church or where well what happens if this person's actually making more than I am right you know what happened do I do I vote on paying the pastor more than I do you know am I worth am I worth less than him and we, we kind of invest all sorts of weird worth things into money as well that aren't necessarily healthy. So, so we we have to recognize why these things are so hard is because you know people are being put into situations and decision making things where they maybe don't have training for it, they don't have understanding of it. This may be a case where a circuit visitor or another pastor can come in and can kind of try to catechize the people on what's going on. Um, it may also be a be a matter of a congregation can recognize and and I, in my mind, probably a, a first step on something like this is going to be thinking through how to teach a congregation to recognize that there's a problem because they're not going to work on trying to fix it if they don't think there's a problem. If the pastor is not getting paid what he needs in order to make a living wage so that he is constantly stressing about how to make ends meet and bills get paid, then that's going to impact his ability to serve as a pastor. Absolutely it does. 
Right. And district and presidents, the, yeah. Yeah. District presidents and circuit visitors have a responsibility to act as sort of a human resources department for yeah. the congregations under their care. Yeah. Um, to an extent, you know, to sure. an extent. I mean, they are only advisory, um, but it would be nice if if you know they would take some of the t- some of the heat and at least be the ones who broach the subject, an uncomfortable subject. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's that there's way, ways that that can happen, and I do yeah. think that that's this is why the concept of visitation is so is so important, not only for pastors to do with their own congregation, but for fellow pastors to do with each other is yeah. so that we can learn to care for one another. It may be that I can't advocate for myself in my own congregation in this way because it's going it, to, it, I mean, it's awkward, no doubt about it. But it may be that I can help a brother pastor do it in his, in his place and uh, that either he or someone else can do the same for me. So it's, and uh, above all, I think you have to, kind of continue to think through how do I love these people? How do I shepherd these people? Even if I am uh, having a hard time with this. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Good stuff. Yeah, lots of stuff to think about. Um, I've got a couple of things I'm going to put in the in the show notes, at least to kind of get on people's radar. In 2012, I think it was 2012, the Lilly Foundation um, invited – 20 seminaries all over the country to gather together to discuss and and do research on the topic of student debt and well-being of of um new pastors. And Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne was one of those was one of those seminaries. I'm not sure if Concordia Seminary in St. Louis was or not. I I just don't know. But both of our seminaries have done a lot of work in the last four or five years on this topic and on kind of how to how to understand and address both student debt, but also kind of financial health in a larger sense as pastors are going out. Um, I'm going to put some links in the show notes to this, and I think that uh, sometime down the road, uh, we probably ought to we probably ought to talk about student debt and and do stewardship and some of these other things and how do these how do these sort of fit into fit into pastoral care in the gospel there is no shortage of topics are there that's, that's the truth and i kind of like to do those topics scott because i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, i know this is this is a conversation and in order for it to be a, a robust one we invite our listeners to send us your comments and your questions yeah. too yeah comments and questions and feedbacks and uh and, and I, like. In fact, this this discussion is the result of someone's comment or question. Yep. So yep, please keep sure them is. coming. Keep them coming. Absolutely. Uh, now, one other thing, since we're talking about money, before we uh, uh, before we go on to our joy bringers, and that is uh, that is how do we uh, how do we support this podcast? This is uh, I think it's fair to say, Scott, a labor of love on your part and my part. I'm not getting paid to do this. You're not getting paid to do this. We're doing this because, of, frankly, because it's fun and because we like talking about theology with each other and and uh, specifically talking about pastoral care because it's a it's a great gift. Um, but it is not uh, it's not free. There is there is equipment that we have to uh, that we have to purchase and kind of continue to tweak and learn. Um, we have to uh, pay for a website and and it's called hosting fees for for doing this and processing everything and. 
we're at a we've had 35 this is our 35th episode so we'll be coming up on this for a year in about January um we've actually been working on this about a year and and at this point we're going to um we're going to start what I'll call a tip jar and uh, and basically what this means is you go to the go to our webpage and you're going to find a little uh a tip jar thing where you can pay probably through PayPal uh, and and throw five ten dollars or a dollar or whatever whatever you're able to our way those uh, those little tips will uh, go toward paying for the equipment for and especially for the hosting fees I, I noticed this because we have a bill coming up for a couple hundred dollars um, and uh, and while it's not something that I like to talk about any more than I like to talk about my salaries, uh, that would be really helpful if our listeners can uh, can help us out with that. Does that make sense, Scott? Yeah, I really – yeah, I think you laid it out well. There there are some expenditures to uh, running a podcast and uh, if our listeners if, – if you enjoy what we do, we would really appreciate just a little bit of assistance. Great. I think enough said on that. We'll uh, bring that okay. up every so often, I suppose. Okay. So, Scott, what's uh, bringing you joy this week, pray tell? Well, I usually pick a book, and that's what I'm going to do today. And, and uh, so last week I read a book. It's not new. Um, I don't remember when it came out, but it's been out for a number of years. Uh, it's by Matthew Harrison, our current synodical president, and it's called Christ Have Mercy, How to Put Your Faith in Action. And I imagine he uh, published this, wrote and published this when he was the director of human care and, and so forth. Right. And uh, it really is a very profound book. It's very theologically informed. And, you know, he does just a terrific job of explaining what the what mercy means in the life of a Christian and the life of a Christian congregation. Hmm. And that this is not just a side item, you know, that to caring for the needs of the poor and the orphans and the and the widows is not just a side item. It is integral, integral to being a congregation, Christian church. And he does it in a well in a way that's not legalistic and, you know, it has the gospel and the gospel of Jesus Christ preeminent throughout. It's just a really profoundly written little book and and a joy to read. It was he's got lots of stories of his work around the world and of of Christ people doing wonderful works uh helping others and and you'll you'll find it to be inspiring and quite informative so I recommend it. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I've read it. It's probably been uh 3 4 or 5 years maybe since I've read it. I think it came out in the late mm-hmm. 2000s. So yeah. yeah, good pick, good, uh, very good choice. Uh, the one that I'm looking at is a uh, is another is another book that I've uh, just started digging into. Uh, I'm still working on the Godawa book from last week, but uh, I typically have about a dozen books that I'm sort of working on at about the same time. Um, but this one is called The Pastor, and it is by Reverend Wilhelm Lea. Uh, Lea was one of the uh, one of the chief architects, either intentionally or unintentionally, behind the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He was a pastor in Neuendettelsau in Bavaria uh, in the early to mid-19th century and uh, sent many missionary pastors into the United States, particularly in Michigan, but Ohio, Indiana, and the like. And this is a, uh, a book, as I said, it's called Pastoral Theology. That's essentially a pastoral care manual. Uh, there's a long history of these kind of casuistry type books 
that have been done. Walther wrote one, which, by the way, has not been completely translated into English that I know of. Um, the no, one but was, it is in the works. It's in the works. I've heard that too. Yeah. Um, and the, the one that was used, I think, for the longest in the Missouri Senate that I'm aware of was by John H.C. Fritz. Uh, and there are, and there have been other sort of attempts over the last seventy five years, but uh, but nothing that's kind of oh well this is it, and and this is another one from the nineteenth century. Uh, Leia is a brilliant, uh, brilliant pastor, a, a great liturgical theologian, pastoral theologian, uh, and I'm really looking forward to reading it. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, I, it's on my want list. Yep. It costs a pretty penny, doesn't nah, it? No, it doesn't. It does. I, mm-hmm, I want to mm-hmm. say $30, maybe $35 even. It's paperback. Yeah. And and I think that CPH is really kind of in a pickle with this sort of thing because mm-hmm. to to get books like that translated requires a lot of work. Translated, mm-hmm. edited, you've got to have people with multi uh, – with lots of different language skills. So there's just a lot of moving parts to it and it's not cheap. Uh, mm-hmm. And so in order to have any chance of recouping their costs, I expect that they have to charge for them. But, and, it's, and it's not going to be a large market for this. No, no. This is kind of a niche piece. I think that's it fair is. to say. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but if we can although, do although our part. If you're not a, right. I mean if you're not Lutheran, I, I still think you, you – know, I haven't read it, but I know of Leia well enough to know that you would still find this to be salutary. Absolutely, and and I read plenty of non non Lutheran uh, theology, pastoral care works. Thomas Oden, uh, Eugene sure. Peterson. There are many others that we can find benefit from. So, sure. lots of fun yeah. stuff. Anything yeah. else on the uh, grand list that we've forgotten, Scott? No, I think we've covered it. You think we've covered it? Yeah, this show's a little bit longer than uh, a little bit longer than useful, or maybe I hope it's useful, but a little longer than usual. And that's okay. But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will see you guys next time. Goodbye.